0: Well, good day, and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the Pod Medic. We're back with another fun episode for you, and kicking off our new year of recording here in 2023. And I'm excited to do that. I think this is this is the start of year 10, maybe. Sam, what do you think? I think we're
1: at nine, Jamie. I, I recounted.
0: Okay, nine. That that's still pretty good. I think I think I'll take that.
1: We'll have a hell of a 10th anniversary party. I'm already planning. Oh. So there you go
0: for next year. Ooh. Sounds good. I think it's exciting. So what's on the schedule for tonight?
1: We have our one of our favorite meteorologists, Kyle Nelson, who we dragged in because we have a specific... Kind of things to talking to him about, but oh my God, there's so much going on in the weather right now. Everywhere we got California flooding out, have, you know, we've been in a drought forever, and we have you know, Europe under a heat wave. What the hell is going on, Kyle?
2: Well, Sam, it's uh, just another another wild week in weather. And uh, you're right, right, a lot going on there in California, making some headlines, right, with a whole series of atmospheric rivers, or think of those as ribbons of moisture in the middle and upper parts of the atmosphere. And so you may hear some of them termed uh, the Pineapple Express. That's sort of a, uh, a fun term that's been added on so that... Uh, to sort of denote those atmospheric rivers where that moisture source is closer to the Hawaiian Islands, but uh, I digress. But as you said, causing major impacts and uh, especially in those uh, those burn scar areas across California as well, right? All the wildfires that we're getting seemingly on a year round <laughs> basis there in California now being impacted by heavy rains in the low and mid levels and then heavy snows uh, up near the mountain peaks. Uh, really, really wreaking havoc on some of those burn scar areas leading to uh, some pretty catastrophic flash flooding landslides and even some uh, wide area evacuations of of some of those uh mudslide prone areas. So uh, more on the way for them, unfortunately, before this all winds down. Uh, But again, with California being in this, in this very, very uh, long-term drought, right? There is talk of the levels in Lake Mead starting to rise finally, but uh, it's gonna take a lot more than these series of atmospheric rivers to really help, uh, to really end the drought in California. We're we're not really gonna touch it with these.
1: So what is causing that, Kyle? He's called it the Pineapple Express,
2: but what does that really mean? For sure. So it's it's really just it depends on the flow of the atmosphere, right? And as, as the atmosphere flows, right, generally the flow that we have is from west to east here with the jet stream that ultimately drives our weather here at the surface, right? Jet stream, that high-speed ribbon of air uh, at the level where commercial jetliners fly, right, somewhere between, say, thirty and 40,000 feet, roughly speaking. And as that uh, jet stream moves, it doesn't just move uh, west to east, it also becomes very wavy sometimes. And so as those waves either maybe go up towards the north uh, towards the pole, uh, north pole, and bring some of that polar air down. They can also uh, that jet stream can also dip south and bring some of that warmer, more uh, moisture-rich air north, and we uh, end up experiencing that depending on where it lands. Uh, once it once it starts to impact uh, land masses and, and things of that nature, right? It can it can really wreak havoc. Even though many areas west of the Rocky Mountains depend on atmospheric rivers for thirty to fifty percent, sometimes of their annual uh, rainfall or, or precipitation.
1: Indeed, Jamie, you have a question.
0: Yeah, Kyle, how's the how's the snow this year in your area and part of the Rockies where you are? Um, how's that compare to? Past years, because it seems, you know, based on the news that you guys are getting dumped on, but does this compare uh, on average to past normal rain, normal snowfall, or is this something that's uh, extraordinary?
2: Well, uh, we haven't quite, uh, hit it's extraordinary yet, uh, here as, as far as we go, we're still very early on in our snow season here in the, in the Rocky mountains, but, uh, for, for Colorado, I, I can speak to, uh, many, many of the river basins in Colorado, which are sort of how these things are, how this data is grouped. Uh, many of them are near or above average, uh, in their year to date, precip- uh, total precipitation as, as it has occurred so far. So we're, we're doing, uh, very well. And, uh, if, if the storm track, uh, keeps on going as, as it's forecast to do, uh, we're, we're set to stay in a, in an active pattern here, at least in the short term. But of course, right. We typically, you know, peak in the sp- and peak in the late spring, and then we have the, the spring melt off uh, once things start to warm up here in the high country but we're we're really looking forward to a, a good water year here and keeping our, our fingers crossed that that may set us for a, a reduced risk of wildfire, but also recovering and, and making steps to recover from our drought conditions here across the greater uh, Mountain West and the Great Basin.
1: You know, this is kind of out there from what we're talking about, but something that's kind of scary, was listening to public radio today and heard something about um, the fact that all of the glaciers could melt in this this century before it's over. What's going to happen then? <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of a out there thought, but my God, what happens if all the glaciers melt?
2: Well, it's right. It's one of those, right. Thinking on those, those long-term climate scales, right. Is, is the time period over, over which these, the, these types of uh, potential uh, outcomes may occur. But of course, as the, the earth and the atmosphere, right. Being a, what we call a coupled system, right. You can't have a change in one without having a, then a change in the other. So as, as far as um, the, what exactly would happen, right. That's, you know there's lots of research going on in the climate space and um, definitely a, a topic for for another podcast that we can delve into but it's really important to remember that uh, even though the changes in in the Earth's global climate system may not be immediately visible or are recognizable as as easily as those that may live in coastal areas where sea level is rising for example um, right we're already starting to see the effects of with increasingly uh, potent, uh, tropical, uh, tropical storms and tropical weather systems, right. Heat waves, droughts, right. Those, those extremes we're starting to get, uh, the, the ends of those spectrums as to, as to what's truly possible as we continue to, uh, as right. As humans affect that, that balance within the, uh, with the earth atmosphere system.
1: So Jamie, I hear that East Coast has been unseasonably warm. What's going
2: on there? Well, we had all that cold
0: weather over the holidays um, a couple weeks ago, and then it warmed up quite a bit. In fact, it was um, north of sixty today. So, um, you know, we went from you know two weeks ago having low temperatures overnight down in the single digits to um, and wind chills in the negatives. To um, a day, a nice balmy 62 today. I think it was here where I live. Um, So just you know, radical weather. And I'm curious because some of the storm, we're still getting, we're getting waves of rain coming through, um, which I think are some of these storms that are coming in on the west coast, are tracking all the way across the country. They're bringing severe weather to the south. Um, east um, and and central south portion of the country, um, you know Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, um, into the, the um, mid south and southeast. And so I'm curious, Kyle. You know, is this this these waves really track all the way across the country over time?
2: They absolutely can, right? And that's why it's so so nebulous that the term winter storm, right? Because the, the same, you know, the same storm system that, you know, comes ashore in the West coast and, you know, works its way across the Rocky mountains, across the great plains, the Midwest and onto the East coast, right there. Yes. That storm system will evolve and, and, you know, over time as it makes that trek, But, Right, very widespread impacts from the same parent storm system, right? Be it heavy rainfall and flooding to mountain snow to severe weather, uh, lightning, tornadoes, high winds uh, in in the deep south sometimes, uh, blizzard conditions in the Great Lakes and the Upper Midwest, and then kind of a, a disaster potpourri, if you will, as that system then moves off moves off to the east, depending on right how it evolves. Does it speed up? Does it slow down? Does it? you know, start to bring some of that moisture off the ocean and really start to, to wreak havoc across, uh, the Northeast and the new England States. Right. So as right as those weather systems track grow and evolve, right. Just one winter storm, you're not always going to have winter type precipitation or super cold air from a winter storm. You can have, you know, that can be affecting sometimes a half to two thirds of the country at once, depending on where you're located.
1: Kyle, one of the things they were talking about on the West Coast was bomb cyclone, and I know we've discussed that before. But how does that explain that? it's <laughs> a it's a thing I don't fully understand.
2: Right on. So bomb cyclone, right? One of uh, one of my favorite weather terms that I learned. Uh, back in my meteorology days and now something that our, our friends in in the uh, broadcast media world have really picked up on it's a very catchy phrase but it's it's something that's that's been very well known and it's it's been around for many years and what that what that refers to uh, the you know a cyclone bombing out is right a, a cyclone it's it's an area of of low pressure right it has a low pressure center and these low pressure systems that we talk about right these are our weather makers. Be it a say a, a tropical low pressure system or a tropical cyclone, you know like tropical storms, tropical depressions, hurricanes, or a mid latitude cyclone, the big red ls that we see on our weather maps right that have warm fronts and cold fronts with them and if these cyclones were to right to, to bomb out or if they if the central pressure the, the the pressure reading either in inches of mercury or millibars or hectopascals if you 're feeling fancy. If that drops more than, uh, say, 24 millibars in 24 hours, that's, uh, that's said to be a, uh, the cyclone is bombing out, right, because of the rate at which the pressure is dropping within the center of that system, and generally speaking, the lower the, the central pressure of that storm system, the, uh, the more, more intense the impacts that can generally be expected.
1: Well, getting back to California, I understood listening to the weather this morning that they'd already have like 10 inches of rain in some parts of California, northern California. What's get to happen there?
2: Well, it's a uh, it's truly. I'll use the phrase, it's a parade of atmospheric rivers uh, with varying degrees of intensity that are actually going to persist through next week. Uh, from from when we're recording this year. So it's literally going to open the fire hose, if you will, on portions of California, Oregon, and Washington. Uh, it's everyone on the west coast is is going to get a taste of this., uh, but unfortunately, California will continue to take the brunt of it with very little relief uh, between each round of heavy rainfall and heavy mountain snow, maybe at most thirty six hours in between each, which, for any of us in our local disaster response cycles, right, that's not a lot of time to end, end your response phase, dip your toe into the recovery phase before you're already preparing up and perhaps even then responding to the next storm as it comes through.
1: Well, rain is good, but not all at once. <laughs> I guess that's where we're at here. Um, but what we really wanted to talk about tonight, even though there's so much other things to talk about, weather-wise, is Jamie was talking to me about uh, a story about a person that died in an avalanche. I believe it was Breckenridge. And there's been more than one. So what do you know about avalanche danger and what's going on with that?
2: Well, Sam, you you, you, uh, really hit it, right? Uh, So here within the 2022-2023 2022-2023 winter season, there have, uh, as of the time of this recording, been three recorded uh, avalanche fatalities here in the United States. Uh, two most recent ones occurred on December 31st, 2022, one in Crested, uh excuse me, uh, Crown Butte up in Montana, where a snowmobiler uh, was caught, buried, and killed. And the one that the most recent in Colorado was just outside of the Breckenridge Ski Resort, on in an area called Peak Ten. And if any of you have skied in the Summit County area, and that's where a father and son uh, entered the backcountry through backcountry access gate from within the resort boundary to outside of the resort boundary, and uh, unfortunately, um, both were both were caught in the avalanche. Uh, the father was partially buried. The son, unfortunately, uh, buried and killed. And then uh, just not even a week before that, on December 26th, there were uh, four backcountry riders uh, caught. Uh, one, unfortunately, died north of Berthed Pass. So a uh, very, very active um, avalanche uh, season for us here in Colorado, uh, coinciding with uh, several factors that sought to increase the avalanche uh, hazard in the backcountry because, right, well, snow and an ample snowfall is, is a good thing. This is a very heavy, wet snow that we were receiving around that time, adding a lot of weight to the snowpack and some very Weak layers of snow near the surface from the snowfall that we received early season here across the state. And with the um, with the right slope angle, and unfortunately, typically a, a human trigger, that's uh, where these avalanche uh, accidents happen.
1: Well, that was one of my questions. Uh, what actually can trigger an avalanche?
2: great question. So avalanches, um, human, human triggered, um, there's been, uh, re- recorded incidents of sometimes, uh, pets or small, uh, or other animals that are out that can, they can sometimes trigger them, uh, as well. Uh, right. But I, I think it's, um, also important to consider too, that there are some, right. There are, there are many accidental triggers of avalanches, right. Where you don't intend to set one off, right. You, most of us don't want to, but there are, Uh, other groups uh, be it ski patrols departments of transportation highway departments etc that do intentionally set off avalanches uh, using several methods sometimes it's uh, explosives be it a launcher or a a hand charge that you that you build and then then toss and try to land in an area where you think an avalanche would be likely to start uh, as well as Uh, even some avalanche mitigation techniques within the resort boundaries like ski cutting where uh, you say uh, or myself say as a a ski patroller would ski across a slope on an angle the theory being that if an avalanche were to rip out below me as i was skiing i'd be able to ski up and out of it with my partner watching from up above in case i just happened to go for a ride so um, definitely some uh, lots of different ways to trigger them but uh, i think it's important really to to focus on Well, they're all of these triggers. It's being aware when you're entering avalanche terrain and when to stay out of it. And if you do go into avalanche terrain, having the proper equipment and the training and how to use that equipment effectively, because typically where these avalanches occur, you are your rescue party, right? You're it. Because when, by the time the cavalry gets there, it's typically a recovery.
1: Right, and I want to talk more about that.
0: But Jamie, do you have any questions? Well, I think you answered most of what I was thinking about um, because you talked about the the, the causes. Um, how does this year stack up to you know what what is the annual fatality rate on average from avalanches in in the United States? Do you have that stat, Kyle?
2: I mean it 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 varies wildly, Jamie, and um, just looking back. Uh, here over the last couple of seasons, um, the Colorado Avalanche Information Center is uh, one of the, the greatest collectors of avalanche uh, fatalities and the record keepers across the United States here. So last season, we had a total of uh, 17 fatalities nationwide and uh, the 2020-2021 season. So before that, we had 37 season, we had 23 fatalities. 25 the year before that. 25, so it it really does vary, right? As the better the skiing gets, the more enticing the backcountry is, and I'll tell you, at at least here in Colorado, the ability and and the ease of obtaining and renting. Equipment that can very easily get you into the backcountry and into some of these areas that are prone to avalanches. It's easier and easier to get there, and um, it's it's one of many factors that are driving uh, these these uh, these annual avalanche fatalities.
0: Is there any kind of um, like um, restriction or or re- legislative um, or uh, law enforcement? role to be played in keeping people out of avalanche prone
2: areas. Great question Jamie. So many many areas um especially if you're if you're leaving a um a, an access gate entering the backcountry, typically these are going to be some sort of um public lands. Uh, typically I'm speaking very broadly here in Colorado and I know within within our area uh in and around Aspen there's lots of Bureau of Land Management as well as Forest Service Land. These agencies are very proactive in partnering with local and statewide Avalanche uh, forecast centers to not only educate the public, but also partnering with the resorts that have these backcountry access gates um, into the this what we call sort of a side country terrain, right? It's just outside of the resort boundary, which for some can feel very comforting, but right, you're it's you may as well just call it backcountry at that point, point. and there's very prominent signage that includes skulls and crossbones that says, "This is your decision point. Backcountry risks. Uh, backcountry skiing risks include, uh, right, risk of injury and fatality. And right, it's it's meant to be that final gut check as to, right, anyone in the party speak up now, because right, that one dissenting opinion could be the one that saves the lives of someone in your group."
1: Absolutely. So what happens when you get buried by an avalanche? And I know that's a big question because there's a lot of variables, but um
2: what do you do? Well, it's it's typically very, very sudden. And as as someone who has gone for, for short rides, um thankfully never been, been fully buried. Um, in, in the line of duty, but, um, the, the, the best defense, right. Is to, is to not put yourself in that situation. But if you are caught in an avalanche, um, having the proper gear and, uh, could potentially save your life. So there are, have in the past, say five, 10 years or so, there's been a ton of research and a huge explosion in uh, a product called an Avalanche airbag, which is essentially a, an inflatable bag that goes in the user's backpack that, as, that they wear. And should they um, as they are um, skiing in avalanche terrain, there's a there's a rip cord they can pull. Some use compressed air cylinders, others use like little uh, smaller jet fans and can rapidly inflate these bags to help the user, as they're right, getting, starting to get sucked under, when they're caught in an avalanche, they can pull it, inflate this bag, and now it keeps you more buoyant, right? You're bigger, you're going to float to the top of that slide or stay nearer to the top, as opposed to being relatively speaking, relative to an avalanche path, right? A tiny human uh, kind of getting getting sucked in to uh, all all those avalanche debris as it flows downhill. Um, without that kind of technology. Fighting for your life to swim and 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 stay near the top, working to keep um, your your feet uh, pointed pointed down the slope if you can. Uh, lots uh, lots of the injuries that do occur with avalanches are blunt force trauma, right? Because these are going down mountain slopes, going through and over trees and rocks and uh, whatever other debris or infrastructure may be underneath, and all getting picked up and turned around uh, in that avalanche and it's really amazing because as that avalanche goes and that snow, all those snow crystals rubbing against each other, they're actually warming up and starting to develop a very thin layer of water on them because of the friction. And so as that avalanche slows to a stop, that snow, uh, that, that kind of snow with that little water jacket on it actually starts to turn into a sheet of ice and truly you can't move. It's, it's very, very difficult to, to move once you're buried. And typically what we see, if, um, if the blunt force trauma doesn't get to you, it's uh, typically uh, asphyxiation due to either snow being forced into and including the airway or uh, what we all, you'll also hear referred to as an ice mask that develops. So say the individual survives the avalanche, they're buried, but as they exhale, their breath condense, uh, then condenses and then freezes on the snow that's, that's around their face and so they develop this this ice mask that eventually um occludes their their ability to breathe and they uh, asphyxiate under the snowpack so time is of the absolute essence when it comes to uh, being able to to be rescued or to rescue your partner
1: wow that's pretty scary stuff um I've heard, I haven't heard anything about those airbags. That's pretty interesting. But what I remember was like rescue beacons and that kind of thing. People carrying in your party, carrying shovels and so forth and so on. What about those things?
2: Yes, absolutely. So right airbags, newer technology, it's out there. It's not a guarantee to save your life, um, it's, it's a, it's a step in the right direction. It it gives you a better chance of survival, right? There's no, there's no guarantees, right? When, you know, the more exposure we have to that hazard, right? We're, we're, we might still have that same exposure, but we could perhaps mitigate some of the risk by, right? Having this airbag that, you know, again, may or may not help in, in the end, but the, the core tool, Sam, like you mentioned a, a an avalanche transceiver or beacon, as it's as it's sometimes referred to, right? It's uh, many companies that make them, and these emit a uh, they transmit a, a signal in in a in a pulse format um, every you know every second or so, and they also then have um, receivers in them as well, so that should you a your your partner or someone in your group become uh, buried in an avalanche, you're able to then go into search mode, and you're your beacon that was transmitting now becomes a receiver and the technology has gotten really, really good um, in the last couple of years uh, with being able to very quickly guide a, a rescuer to, uh, to their partner who's, who's buried under the snowpack. The next thing, right? Once, once you, once you locate that, you get the lowest number on your beacon is now you've got your, your probe. And typically this is a uh, right. Several, uh pieces of of metal tubing that are that are designed with a little point on the end you can you know throw it out pull the pull the rip cord and it kind of all comes together and now you've got a probe and you're probing under the snowpack to hope find what's the source of that signal is and you're trying to find your partner right and practicing and knowing what what it feels like when you hit a tree versus a rock versus oh that sound, that feels like a human under there Right. And, and so kind of knowing what those different things feel like under the snow. And then once you get your, your probe strike, right, stop there and then get your shovel out and you start digging to get down. You want to get that airway clear. And from there, work to extricate uh, extricate that person and provide any life saving care uh, and first aid that has to be rendered. So it's right. It's, it's one thing. Sam, right, as, as we all know, and that I'm sure as is, is, uh, many of us here listening in the industry know, it's one thing to have all these tools because, right, you can buy these these kits, these packages. Oh, hey, you can get, you know, an airbag, a beacon, shovel, and a probe. Great. I'm ready to go into the backcountry. Well, yes, you have the gear, but if you haven't practiced with it, know how to use it, know, how, you know, if, you know, how that gear might not perform, you know, as you practice with it and drill with it, and really work out some of those nuances, right? Learning to use your beacon when your buddy just got buried, that's not going to probably be a positive outcome as opposed to routine training and practice with everyone on your team that you're going with and not skipping some of those vital uh, trailhead checks like the beacon checks. Hey, are you transmitting? Am I receiving? Go around the group and make sure because... That one check may be the way to discover a faulty device that could potentially uh, you know have a negative outcome for somebody
1: so what I'm hearing is traveling with the group with the right equipment and everybody knowing how to use it is the right
2: choice it's absolutely the right choice and having the and, and getting some additional training avalanche uh, an avalanche awareness class at the very least and there's also some uh, some additional levels of training you can get depending on if you're if you're leading groups or guiding groups in the backcountry, right there there are the professional tracks level one and level two uh here within in the united states i know canada has has a little bit of a a different system that they do but it's also like numbered numbered levels going up in in complexity and and the science within it but good decision-making understanding of risk and good route planning. That can really be the make or break for your day in right. What is, what is the weather done? What's the weather been doing? What's the weather forecast? What's the avalanche forecast? Okay. Where might we want to, to ski or ride or recreate? Where might we want to avoid? Let's put a good plan together because the, that equipment, right? That's your last resort. Proper planning, preparation understanding the risk getting that forecast and knowing how to apply it that's going to be your best defense against a very bad outcome
1: great information kyle and i miss skiing but there's a whole lot i didn't know (laughs) jamie to you
0: yeah and I think um something that, that important that Kyle noted there is the the importance of training um certification for those that are acting as professional guides and and for responders as well and we talk about this all the time we you know especially in regard to Paragon Medical Education Group, which is our sponsor for the disaster podcast um they Provide all sorts of various levels of and styles of training for different types of responders in disaster and um, austere medicine settings. And they can put together something as simple as a, a specialized course on on dealing with avalanche trauma. And and so if you do have a, a, a rescue and not a recovery, um, how are you handling those specific patients in those specific situations? Um, they you know they can pull together the experts in that area to to do that kind of thing. That's one of the things they specialize in is bringing people in who have the experience with the specific type of rescue and training that is needed for your customized needs. So uh, reach out to them at paragonmedicalgroup.com, Paragon Med edu on Twitter. And of course you can always reach them through the disaster podcast and through the disaster podcast Facebook group. So um, I hope you'll reach out to them and let them know you heard about them here on the disaster podcast. Uh, Kyle, thanks for coming on the show. I know you're super busy, especially this time of year, uh, X games and whatnot coming up. Um, How's that looking for you all? I mean, you guys got a lot of snow and looks like it's still going to continue to bring you more snow. So you should be in a good setup for uh, this year's X games, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Jamie X games is ready to rock and roll. The, uh, the load in starts this week. The build is underway. Uh, it's going to be a really, really fun event this year. Uh, With slope slope style, super pipe and big air now in its own venue once again and uh, something to look forward to. We actually have enough snow because of all the great work our snowmakers did where it's going to be seven features in slope style. So three rails, four jumps. It's going to be a really, really exciting one this year and we are all looking forward to it.
0: Fantastic to hear about that, Kyle. Yeah. Where can, where can people follow you and follow what's going on? Um, so, cause I'm sure you'll be putting out some information about it on your social channels.
2: Oh, absolutely. I, I love to share about all the, all the fun and cool experiences here in, uh, in and around the Aspen area. So you can uh, connect with me on Twitter LinkedIn and Instagram under the handle wxkylenelson. I'd love to connect with our listeners to uh, follow up on any any questions they may have and continue the conversation around these really awesome topics that we bring you here on the Disaster Podcast.
0: Thanks, Kyle. Sam, where can folks find you?
1: In the usual social media places under Sam Bradley or Sam Bradley eleven. Certainly on the Disaster Podcast website as well as. The Disaster Podcast Facebook group. How about you, Jamie?
0: Well, I can be found under the handle PodMedic in most social media locations. So please look me up and follow me there. You can also always find us over at disasterpodcast.com. Remember, there are links right there below the audio player at the top of every podcast page that will allow you to subscribe to the show. So I urge you to do that. You can subscribe whether you're on iOS or Android devices or even by email if you want. So just click the re- relevant link and follow the instructions to quickly and easily subscribe to the podcast um good show tonight sam i'm glad we were able to pull kyle in and, and talk about um these topics
1: exactly we love having kyle and you know we talk about weather in general and certainly he has so many levels of expertise we could tap into but we appreciate everything he has to, to donate to us but you know it's all about being careful and and knowing what you're getting into when you get into it, whether it's skiing or anything else. So be careful.